and we are right in the heart and center of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak here in Westchester. Started in New Rochelle with a cluster. Currently, New Rochelle is one of the nation's hotspots for COVID-19. New Rochelle is a suburb of Westchester County, approximately 25 miles from New York City. The National Guard was deployed and is currently delivering food to homes, cleaning public spaces, and helping to collect samples for COVID-19 surveillance at drive through testing locations. With the high number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in New York, Governor Cuomo has issued an executive order for all workers and non-essential businesses to stay home in an effort to combat the spread of COVID-19 and will take effect this upcoming Sunday evening, March 22, 2020. I discuss one of the nation's hotspots into greater detail with infectious disease specialist Dr. Morjani. Dr. Morjani is an infectious disease specialist from Westchester County and is currently at the front line in providing his infectious disease expertise in one of the nation's hotspots for COVID-19. Since the World Health Organization has declared COVID-19 to be a pandemic on March 11, 2020, there have been sweeping changes throughout the USA and the world in screening, managing and treating COVID-19, and it seems to be changing by the hour. These changes affect all of us. Before I start this episode, let's listen to one of the latest announcements from World Health Organization. COVID-19 is taking so much from us, but it's also giving us something special, the opportunity to come together as one humanity, to work together to learn together, to grow together. I thank you. Join me on this episode, The Powerful Pandemic Part 1, as we work, learn, grow, and come together in response to COVID-19. I'm Dr. Susan Rashid, your host for Secrets of Survival. has changed in one week, Dr. Morjani. You're at the front line for managing COVID-19. Uh, how's your experience been with that so far? Uh, good morning, Susan. Uh, yeah, so the disease is evolving very fast, and we are right in the uh, heart and center of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak here in Westchester. Started in New Rochelle with a cluster, and of course now we are seeing community spread um, and patients being admitted to the hospital and uh, we've now had uh, a few patients go on uh, ventilators and uh, you know there's exposures to healthcare staff because of uh, delayed testing in initially so you know a lot, lot has happened uh, but on a positive note the testing now is freely available 
in New York uh, City and in the suburbs, including in Westchester. Mm-hmm. And lots and lots of labs are uh, offering the test. There is still a delayed turnaround in some tests. In some other tests, the results are coming back in 24 hours somewhere. In some other tests and labs, it's taking three days. Uh, but at least the testing is available. Things are being controlled, uh, social distancing, lockdowns, yeah. just to try and flatten the curve of the epidemic. Speaking of which, since you're talking about a very popular discussion about flattening the curve that Dr. Fauci continues to talk about, I think the audience would like to know what is what is this concept of flattening the curve and why is this so critical at this point in time in combating COVID-19? Flattening the curve means you don't want that surge of huge numbers of cases, millions of cases, which will overwhelm every system that we have. Flattening the curve means getting people to get the disease in a mild fashion over time, lowering the amount of community virus exposure and viral load and cases so that the healthcare system can deal with it and people have a better chance of developing an immunity with mild disease rather than being exposed to large amounts of virus and large numbers of cases with much more severe presentation. So that's the concept of flattening the curve and I highly encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast to just go onto the CDC website and just search for flattening the curve concept with COVID-19. And there are beautiful illustrations that will show us how different communities in the past have successfully flattened the curve. And we are seeing that in South Korea, we are seeing that in Singapore, we are seeing that in Taiwan, where flattening the curve uh, you know, can, be, uh, can be easily achieved. Uh, and we are seeing some other places in the, in the world where flattening the curve is not possible because they don't have the systems in place to do so. Or, you know, it's unfortunate, but uh, you are going to see uh, some places not be able to flatten the curve initially. But it is my hope that in a global economy with, with cooperation between various countries, that we will be able to achieve flattening the curve everywhere. Well, let's go ahead and start with our president. President Trump has declared a national emergency in response to COVID-19. What does this mean for all clinicians in the healthcare system in general now that a national emergency has been declared in the USA? So national emergency is a good thing, Susan, when there's a pandemic or an acute healthcare need because it opens up funding, it uh, brings down bureaucracy and red tape. And it opens up uh, response at high speed. And so it makes the administration, the government, and all the healthcare system, facilities, doctors, it makes them more nimble and be able to respond to the developing needs. And as we have seen over the last one week, this is very important. And we are now starting to move in very rapid fashion to try and control this disease. Now, as I've said before, this disease is not preventable. Right. But it is containable, and if it is, if you cannot contain it, then you have to take mitigation measures. So we are starting to see some contain containment measures. We are starting to see some possible mitigation measures in areas, local areas that has been heavy clusters, and all that is good because you're going to see the effect of this uh, flatten the curve, so to say. Mm-hmm. So you won't have this huge surge of infections that can overwhelm both the healthcare system and the civic system that we live in. That's very good to hear. It seems to be that this is a different face of medicine 
that many clinicians, healthcare providers um, that are seeing in, in providing care and management. So this rather historical times we're living in right now. And you're at the front line of it, Dr. Morjani. So very, very impressive. And I commend you for all that you do. In New Rochelle, it is considered a hotspot for COVID-19. Governor Cuomo has now implemented drive-through testing to be performed in New Rochelle for efficient surveillance of COVID-19. I think you covered some of this, but go ahead and share how that drive-through testing is going. Are the citizens of New Rochelle able to get this done in an expedited fashion? And is something similar happening throughout the entire state of New York? So as far as I'm aware, the drive-through testing has been implemented at several parts of New York State where there are hotspots. Uh, and I think there is a, uh, if you Google this, uh, you can find those areas where you can do drive-through testing, where you go in, you report your symptoms, and they take some basic information, and you get tested, and the results are then conveyed to you down the road. Department of Health then takes over and uh, does what is appropriate, and if you're positive, and if you are and then let you know if you're negative. So drive-through testing is very good because it takes the pressure off of the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And so the healthcare system can focus on those that are really ill and really sick. And um, I'm happy to report that the healthcare system, at least in Westchester where I am, is uh, it's under stress, but it's not breaking. It's nowhere close to breaking. It's actually handling the stress very well. And so if you take it as you may, it's a stress test and we are going through that stress test in a pretty fine fashion. Everything is organized, nobody's panicking, everybody's cooperating, there's a good sense of camaraderie. Yes, there's lots of work, you know, I'm working till 10, 11 o'clock at night to see patients and to deal with the family members and their anxiety and their questions. And yes, you're right, you know, most of us have not seen a pandemic. The last one was, uh, you know, more than 100 years ago in the United States. There was a small pandemic uh, 10 years ago, SARS. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and then MERS over the last 20 years. But that was a small, relatively small pandemic. This uh, uh, is a pretty big one, and uh, it needs a little bit uh, deliberation in whatever we do. And, you know, I think at a personal level, at a county level, at a state level, at a government level, I think everything is now aligned. People are well aware. And I'm hoping that all these measures will not only flatten the curve, but will actually reduce the amount of disease that is clinically manifest. Absolutely. With the drive-through testing, it is going to be most certainly more efficient. Now, a, a regular person, if they're just symptomatic, they don't necessarily need a physician's order. They can just call this number and in their neighborhood and it, there's a drive-through testing available and they just go in and tell the staff their symptom symptoms and then they just get tested and that's it is that is it pretty straightforward like that that is how it is and that's how it should have been and but i'm happy to report it is that way now and so testing is now uh, ramped up and will ramp up even more over the next week and once the testing is up and running in full flow, as we have seen in South Korea and in Singapore mm-hmm. and uh, other places, the disease can be contained and will be contained. Now, the getting the results back, is that within a 
24, 48, 72 hour time period, how quickly do does the patient and the and the healthcare provider would know the results? So it depends on the labs. Mm-hmm. And different labs have different turnaround times. So New York State Lab in uh, Wordsworth, I believe, has a 48-hour turnaround time. Uh, but there are other labs uh, that are working on a 24-hour turnaround time. And I believe that Montefiore Health System has, is working on an assay that should be available very soon, hopefully in the next couple of days, that actually has a turnaround time of two to four hours. So, you know, science, time, and technology is giving us tools that helps us deal with this pandemic uh, in a much better way, and we'll have a much better handle on it. So this is very, very positive to hear. Testing is just so key and for everyone at this point. Yeah, so we've seen uh, a couple of cases uh, present to the local correctional authorities, uh, and they have been you know, categorized that person under investigation. But I'm happy to report that uh, both of them turned up to be negative for COVID-19 okay. and had alternative uh, etiologies for their respiratory symptoms. And the CDC has put out a very nice uh, guideline on uh, on what constitutes a, you know, a suspected case and who should be tested, who should not be tested, who should be quarantined. And I'm, we are following that, and uh, it's good to see that the prison system now has policies in effect uh, in place that if a patient presents what they're going to do, uh, both issues of uh, patient flow and uh, flow through the system, the testing and the collaboration between the Department of Health and the, and, uh, the public health system and the correctional system is uh, has been tightened up. Uh, we have uh, meetings on a... A periodic basis every two days every five days sometimes mm-hmm. every week at least uh, to update these these flowcharts and these policies and, and we have uh, policies in effect now about how, what we are going to do with uh, personnel and how we are going to isolate these people how if we need to how we're going to cohort maybe two patients if the need arises which i hope it doesn't right. uh, and uh, we are uh, actively considering the issue of uh, releasing uh, patients proactively is that uh, who, wow. who are well be on a case-by-case basis who are non-violent criminals and who may be easily monitored on parole it's being talked about and i think that's important overcrowded correctional facilities are the complete opposite of social distancing social distancing is a critical factor in containing covid19 and flattening the curve Correctional facilities nationally and internationally are advocating for the early release of inmates in efforts to depopulate the incarcerated population in order to reduce the likelihood of a coronavirus outbreak from occurring. The Los Angeles County jail systems in California is the largest in the United States of America, and currently the Los Angeles County jails has reduced its inmate population by 6% in the last three weeks and is considering reducing bail for thousands of nonviolent offenders. In Cuyahoga County, Ohio, where Cleveland is located, hundreds of inmates have also been released due to concerns of a potential coronavirus outbreak occurring in their correctional facilities. Currently, New York City has plans to release inmates 
who were arrested for minor crimes and those who have comorbid conditions that would make them most vulnerable to COVID-19. And internationally, Iran has one of the highest numbers of COVID-19 cases and deaths after China and Italy and has temporarily released 85,000 inmates in efforts to combat COVID-19. Since COVID-19 is a global pandemic and a fluid situation, we will see what happens within the USA and throughout the world. In the next segment of this episode, I discuss with Dr. Morjani his clinical experience with COVID-19 in one of the nation's hotspots. Would you share with us your experience with COVID-19 and handling this most likely probably in a hospital setting is my guess at this point. So I have personally seen, you know, more than half a dozen cases now and I'm getting, which are confirmed. Mm -hmm. And so that's one part, Uh, but there are so many suspected ones and uh, we are actively ruling them out uh, as we speak. All of America and the world is looking at how physicians and healthcare providers provide care for this for this disease process. So, if you'd be willing to share how you're managing this and what you're doing, so we can all gain clinical pearls from your experience, it would be really great to hear. Yeah. So you know, when you get called in uh, to see somebody who is a suspected case and has severe disease. The first thing is to first try and get the testing done. Okay. And the sec- once once the testing has been initiated and the pro- protocols for isolation have been uh, established, you know whether the patient is uh, suspect, uh, strongly suspect, not suspect. Uh, you know, so you have these various colored tags of um, you know uh, who is going to be put on what type of isolation. Could you share that? What is that? Um, so, you know, there's a flow chart in different uh, systems, hospital systems have different flow charts about okay. this. Uh-huh. And uh, every system is uh, has designed a flow chart. And so once a patient is highly suspect and I'm called in, we do the testing, the testing comes back 24, 48 hours later. And of course, the patient and the family members have a lot of anxiety about it because of all the panic that's out there. Uh, well, so it's my job then to essentially calm people down and for the most part, unless they have severe disease or critical disease, uh, I let them know that they will recover and that has experience over the last week of the patients I have seen, except for one patient who ended up on a ventilator but had all the bad prognostic signs with, you know, he was on dialysis, he had high blood pressure, he had uh, diabetes and he had underlying lung disease. So you knew that all those things would uh, would come into play as we know, those are the, uh, out, those are the bad uh, prognostic factors for this disease. So we did see him get intubated on a ventilator and he was then moved to a tertiary care unit. Uh, but uh, the rest of the patients have actually been discharged and gone home and uh, are recovering. So the, you know, the clinical presentation is acute and then the patients start to improve and you start to calm them down and they get uh, they're very happy to go home. They have put in self-quarantine and you, you hand them over to the Department of Health that is monitoring them and they will of course get tested once their symptoms resolve with PCR testing and once their PCRs are negative, uh, you know, two PCRs are negative over 24 hours, they'll be released uh, from their quarantine can go on with their life. Yeah. So what, what we are seeing is, uh, you know, those type of cases in the hospital. Now, there are lots of other cases as an outpatient 
that are now coming up positive who are uh, making uh, you know pretty speedy fast recovery so we are seeing the mild cases that are now recovering and it's good to see that the disease has for the most part a spectrum where a overwhelming majority of patients will uh, get over it will develop immunity and will go on with their lives and speaking of immunity, would you explain the concept of herd immunity? What does this mean and how, how is this beneficial to, to people? So herd immunity is when people in the community get infected and develop an immune system response, which then protects them, whether it's partial protection or full protection. In coronaviruses, we believe that the protection is almost complete. And so relapses or second infections are down to minimum, if any. Okay. And so the herd immunity and the level of herd immunity, uh, which brings the epidemic or the pandemic down to a close, uh, depends on how infective the virus is. So we had talked about this before, the, the reproductive factor, you know, for uh, this coronavirus, novel coronavirus, COVID-19, is thought to be around two. Whether that is true or not, only time will tell. But assuming a 2.0 reproductive factor, you probably need 50% of the population to have herd immunity before the epidemic will come to a close. Uh, so how long will that take? I don't know. But that's what we are talking about, the curve. Uh, how long do we want the herd immunity to reach 50%? Do we want it in three months? In which case, there will be hundreds and thousands of cases, millions of cases, which will overwhelm the healthcare system. So you get this peak and then it rapidly improves and goes away. But in the meantime, the healthcare system and the civic system and the administrative system that we live in, the political system will all collapse and there'll be chaos and uh, total uh, commotion, pandemonium, as so to say. Or do you want to flatten the curve as St. Louis did in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, mm -hmm. where you do social distancing and you do lockdown. These are all mitigation. Uh, strategies that will bring this herd immunity up in a gradual fashion. Cases will occur in a gradual fashion. The healthcare system and the administrative system and the political system and our civic system will be able to deal with it. There will be some disruption of life, of course, but not to the extent where it causes panic and commotion and pandemonium. And, uh, you know, the number of cases will probably be the same, but the number of cases that will have bad outcomes will come down drastically because the healthcare system has been able to do things. Not only that, flattening the curve allows the scientific community and the research community and the medical community to come up with possibly a cure, an antiviral, and gives us time to develop the vaccine that then speeds up the herd immunity development without having actual infection. All of our lives have suddenly and drastically changed in this past week as we exercise the principles of social distancing and provide our contribution to flattening the curve. These are truly historical times. We will never forget these times and all the events that have occurred during this time period. We are asked to be socially responsible for ourselves, our families, our loved ones, our geriatric population, our incarcerated population our vulnerable populations. It is truly coming together as a unified society where our objectives and goals are all the same in surviving this powerful pandemic, and that is to have a better future. At this present time, 
This means being socially responsible and considerate as we place our efforts in social distancing and work towards flattening the curve. survival.